Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside ND Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideNDSports.com on the Rivals Network. Notre Dame's 2022 coaching staff is finally complete. The Irish hired defensive coordinator Al Golden this week, as expected. So head coach Marcus Freeman has everyone in place to start spring practice next month. Um, Al Golden spent the last two seasons coaching linebackers for the Cincinnati Bengals. So we wanted to catch up with someone who had an eye on the team um, that just made a run to the Super Bowl. So we're happy to have former Notre Dame linebacker Rocky Boyman back on the podcast with us. Rocky's a college football analyst for ESPN, hosts a daily radio show in Cincinnati on 700 WLW. And you can buy his book, Rocky's Rules, for some very important life lessons. Rocky, thanks for joining us. Gentlemen, happy to be with you. It's an exciting time for the Irish right now we're living in. Rocky, first of all, condolences on the Bengals falling just short. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what was it like to watch the, the team make a pretty unexpected playoff run to the Super Bowl? Yeah, look, I mean, you know, obviously being you know born and raised here and spent my whole life outside of uh, being at Notre Dame or in the NFL um, and, and still living here and covering the team for my radio show, it, it was <clears throat> it, it was fantastic. This is a long-suffering sports town. You guys know the stats. 33 years since they've been in a Super Bowl. Uh, 30 years since they've been in the playoffs and and to have it really kind of come out of nowhere. I mean, there was no one um, in uh, September of this year that was talking about the Bengals going to the Super Bowl. I mean, it was we got a quarterback who's eight months removed from a, a you know, a major knee surgery. We got a, a coach who's 625 and one in his career. Uh, we got offensive line issues, which we still have. We had a, a, a pick in Jamar Chase at the time, if you recall. He couldn't catch. That was the story of camp is he, he can't catch. We got this guy's number five overall pick, and, and he drops every ball. And so it was like, oh, my God. It's like this is like a season where, they, they, you know, Zach Keller's got to win six or seven games or he's got to go. And you fast forward, a team came together. Joe Burrow was fantastic. The defense was probably the most underrated story and uh, made a run all the way to the Super Bowl and just came up that short. Well, Rocky, this is how old I am. I can remember when the Bengals used to have the Browns helmets with Bengals written on the side. of them. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That was probably the last time they were good outside of 88. Yeah. So, yes, I know what you're talking about. Okay. So, so when you started to hear rumblings that Al Golden might be in the mix for Notre Dame's defensive coordinator, did you hone in on, on him a little bit more as you watch games and, and what what was kind of running through your mind as you kind of match those things up? Yeah, well, obviously, you know, I, I was like a lot of people. I was very excited uh, about the Marcus Freeman hire and his, his accolades in recruiting. I, I've got to know Marcus my, during my time here when he was with the Bearcats here in Cincinnati. And I'd go out to their camp and obviously talk to him, uh, calling games and stuff. So I like the hire. But, you know, my major concern that I feel like a lot of people overlooked was the lack of head coaching experience. I mean, he'd not even coached a, a high school team. Right. So, right. you know, so I felt like it was it was important. And Eric, I believe I talked to you about it, that whoever becomes one of the coordinators has got to have that experience. Go back a couple of years ago when the Rams hired some kid named Sean McVay. Right. Who also had no college or had no head coaching experience. They brought in Wade Phillips. He would, you know, he'd coach a lot at the head coaching level. So I felt like that was very important. So then seeing that the name of Al Golden get uh, get talked a lot about as being a potential defensive coordinator, 
I like the fact that he has that he has 10 years of head coaching experience, five at a small school, five at a big school, um, as well as a bunch of other things. And then also seeing, you know, just as a position coach, how he was able to help this the linebacking core here in Cincinnati. Again, you guys are, are pretty removed from it, but you know, the linebacker position, while they've had some good players over the years, Vontez Burfick most recently. The linebacking core has always been kind of a, a a detriment to the team, and both in the ability to cover the tight end, and both the ability, to, and also the to make big plays. And you saw a, a group this year with the way Logan Wilson played. I mean, my God, you watch him in the Super Bowl; he was all over the place. Jermaine Pratt, two guys that were that were draft picks that were that showed promise, but then kind of this year it really all came together. So where the Bengals linebacking core used to be a detriment. It was a strength this year, and I think you could see that watching this defense, and I think Al Golden gets a ton of credit for that. Rocky, I'm curious, do you feel like from a recruiting perspective, Al Golden, when he goes out and recruiting, does it matter to kids that he's coached in a Super Bowl now, that he was at the NFL level? What's sort of the value in that that he will bring to Notre Dame? Look, all, all these, as you guys well know, all these kids these days, they want to go to the league, right? It's, 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 so, so it's got to be a part of every pitch, you know, and I'm sure the kids that are getting recruited by Notre Dame, that's on every one of their minds. So, yes, to have a connection to the NFL, someone who's been there, someone who's, you know, that, you know, that sort of thing, I, I think um, is, is certainly a, a, a positive that can talk about, you know, the ins and outs and of what uh, the players have to do. And so, so I, I believe that that's, and, and, you know, I mean, just overall, I, I would say the, the strength of Al Golden is just his diversity of experience, right? You got 10 years as a head coach, you got, what, 22 years at the college level. Uh, he's been a head coach. He's been a D coordinator. Then you got uh, years as a position coach in the NFL and not just as a defensive guy, he coached tight yeah. ends. You know I mean, so there's a ton of, uh, I mean, I, I can't think of a coach who has all that experience and is still just 52 years old, right? I mean, it's not like the guy's 72 years old and he's been around forever. I mean, this guy's done a lot in a little bit of time. So I think that, to me, is, is the most promising thing about Al Golden. Rocky, when I, talk, when I asked Al Golden this yesterday, you know, I, I thought he had a pretty good answer, but I, I want to ask you the same question. You know, he has all that experience, but he has not been in the college game mm -hmm. since 2015. Do you think the college and the pro game are closing the gap in terms of similarities enough that it's not going to be an adjustment? Or do you think there is going to be a little bit of adjustment as he goes schematically from a pro team to college schemes? Yeah, good question. Overall, I think that the schemes are more similar now than they've ever been. You know, the off the you ask NFL coaches, and I do all the time, they, they steal from college all the time, right? Different schemes, different offenses, the spread, uh, and how that's been incorporated into the NFL. Uh, I will say, uh, you know, probably the, the biggest difference is the amount the quarterback runs in college football compared to the NFL, even though you're seeing the quarterbacks in the NFL run runs uh, a lot too. So that's probably the biggest uh, difference, but I don't see it being that big of a thing. I mean, I mean, you're seeing from the high school level, college and pro, a lot of very similar things. Everybody's stealing from everybody. There's so many great minds, especially offensively that I don't think this is, you know, now will he have to brush up on his, um, how to defend the triple option? Yes, of course. But outside of that, I, I think it should be pretty seamless. 
Rocky, with with so much change on the coaching staff this this off season, I'm curious from the players' perspective how how can that impact them? How do they sort of maneuver through that and, and manage their way through that? And and what role can they play in maybe making sure that it doesn't impact the team and that that everything sort of continues the the development that that this program has been experiencing? Well, I mean that's the other beauty of of hiring Marcus Freeman is you got a guy that seemingly everybody in that locker room liked if not loved um and he's there so so while a lot of the other coaches have changed the, the main guy is still there so i i think you know a lot of times if a coach will hire somebody from the outside they'll keep some coaches that have been there to kind of keep the continuity i i would argue that this is probably better that you're getting the former defensive coordinator who was loved who now becomes the head coach and yeah some of the other you know, assistant coaches may be different, but you're getting that main guy there. So I, I think the players will, I, I shouldn't, I don't feel that this will be where, oh my God, everything is so new. I, I don't feel like any players is going to say that. If you had skepticism about Al, and, and I don't think a lot of us do, but if there was one thing that kind of caught in your craw a little bit where you kind of wondered what, what would that be? Um, I, I guess, you know, when you hear Erica, you know, the mentions of, you know, the great schemes that are out there, obviously offensively, you hear about the you know, things Lincoln Riley's doing, you hear about the things, you know, this and that's going on. I, I don't know if, you know, the, even the, the average fan or even the hardcore fan mentioned, you don't hear the name Al Golden mentioned when it comes to brilliant schemes and, you know, things like that. So I feel like that would be a, you know, maybe a little bit of a concern. Um, it takes maybe a little more digging into his resume to see, oh, wow, he's got, he's got the head coaching experience. He's a DC at Virginia. He's got all these, you know, the, these things that he's done um, as well as maybe a little bit, just a, maybe a, a brief period of getting readjusted to, to the college game. I, I would say that would be maybe the biggest. This is, you know, guys know this, this is a, a world where people like names and like names associated with certain schemes and certain championship performances and that sort of thing. His name maybe isn't mentioned as much, but uh, hopefully that won't be an issue. Rocky, one of the things I'm interested in tracking recruiting is how much ground Notre Dame can make up in the state of Ohio. And obviously that's tough with Ohio State in their in their in-state, and they do a really good job of keeping guys there. But there is plenty of talent um, to try to pull out of the state. Obviously Marcus Freeman being uh, a former Ohio State player, um, Al Washington uh, is from the Columbus area um, and was most recently on the Ohio State staff. Chad Bowden uh, was uh, is from the Cincinnati area and uh, has some connections there. Who's the internal recruiting uh, director? I'm curious what what is the challenge of recruiting guys from Ohio to Notre Dame, and do you feel like with that sort of those connections that Notre Dame has to the state, can they really improve that? Well, let me first say, I feel like I've been screaming about Notre Dame's need to recruit Ohio since I left Notre Dame, right? <laughs> like, I've, I've always felt if you're going to play a, a Midwest brand of football in a place that's where it's cold and the elements are a factor and that sort of thing, you need kind of a Midwest kid. Now, of course, you got to go to Florida, you got to go down south, you got to go to Texas and, and California to get some speed and things like that. But I, I feel like your your core base, especially your guys in the trenches, need to be from the Midwest. And, you know, and there's been, obviously there's been great players from Ohio, you know, Kyle Rudolph and others. Um, but uh, I would hope that it would be a priority. Um, I, I know, especially Cincinnati is still a, a Notre Dame town, right. With all, all the, the Catholics that live here and stuff. So uh, it's just a matter of, 
of understanding that, you know, also just the fact that, you know, it, you're getting kids or, you know, their, their folks can drive the game. You know what I mean? They don't have to get on playing. I, I think that's important. So I think it just needs to be made a priority. And the fact that Marcus Freeman has a bunch of inroads here from Ohio State, being involved with UC, uh, and then up there, I, I think that bodes well. And I think it's a good idea to get some Ohio and some Midwest kids on that roster. Rocky, what would be your, just from what you know of the team, the roster, and Marcus being a first-time coach and knowing that he's got to face Ohio State, Clemson, and USC next year, what's kind of your expectations for how things might go next year for him? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, first with recruiting, I, I would hope that Notre Dame is now mentioned among the, the schools that are in the running for some of these top, top quarterbacks. You know, I, I feel like that hasn't been the case in a while. And you, you look at it and you go, you know, why is a, you know, a Justin Fields going to Georgia and then to Ohio State? Like, how come, we, how come he's not coming to Notre Dame? Right? How come those caliber of, of quarterbacks aren't a part of the conversation? I, I would hope that's, that's a little bit more of a yearly thing. And then from there, I, I just – I mean, you look at the teams, Eric, that that win in college football. Look at Georgia. Look at Alabama. Look at Clemson. It's that they have, you know, not just the guys up front in the trenches, but depth there, right? That That's that's the thing. Is So I hope that in recruiting that can be made that, you know, when – you know, for Alabama, when a, a, a big-time linebacker or a defensive tackle goes down, they bring in another – four or five star guy that comes in and, and just there, there's no real drop off. That's the biggest difference in, you know, the highest echelon teams from just the upper echelon teams, I, I think is the depth in the trenches. And I know, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, Notre Dame had a great offensive line, a bunch of guys drafted and I hope, you know, things kind of pick back up there. And then just the, the depth in, in the trenches, I think should hopefully be a priority. Well, at least they got the offensive line coach to put those, Guys in the NFL, he's back. <laughs> yes, yes. Rocky, I'm curious for your perspective on Tommy Reese and the job he's done at Notre Dame. He seems to be uh, an increasingly popular name in college football circles. Um, obviously, Brian Kelly was interested in taking him down to LSU. Uh, Miami had some interest in potentially pulling him away from Notre Dame, and he's he's chosen to stay at Notre Dame. How important is that for the Irish, and what what sort of progression do you hope to see continue with this offense moving forward? Well, I mean, there, there's another continuity piece as well. I mean, a, a big time coach that's, you know, even, I mean, how old is he? What is he? 30? What is he even? 29. 30? 29. <laughs> that's fantastic. I mean, just, you know, the fact that, you know, I mean, you're talking about a, a literally a direct line from playing to coaching there. So, I mean, there, there's an importance factor there, but I mean, just to have a, a kid that young, and be sought after so much tells you a guy really knows what he's doing. He's innovative. He's, he's drawing up schemes and he has concepts that, that, uh, that guarantee guys success guys can get open guys are having success offensively. So, yeah. And then just the fact that, you know, I'm sure Brian Kelly and others dangled a big chunk of change out there for him to, for him to leave. And uh, it says a lot about Marcus Freeman and his confidence in him. Here's a guy that could go almost anywhere he chose to stay at Notre Dame, obviously being a player there, but uh, to have a young guy like that, um, you know, now if he keeps having success, he ain't going to be there long because he's going to be a head coach somewhere, right? You, you, we, we all know that. But uh, for right now, to have a guy that young and that innovative, I think is great. Rocky, has your opinion of Brian Kelly changed at all since he left Notre Dame, the way he left? 
the you know dancing videos and stuff i mean has that <laughs> changed your mind about him at all or do you are, are we maybe not giving him enough credit for what he did at notre dame for 12 years i mean how do how do you kind of look at that it, it, it's funny you say that uh because first of all it it's I, I live that every day here in cincinnati is it's He's like the most hated name in, in Cincinnati sports <laughs> when when the fact is, and, and, I, and I don't, I'm not afraid of saying this, they should probably build a statue of him outside of Nippert Stadium for what he did to help that program and do what, I mean, you talk about doing the impossible, going to the Sugar Bowl and playing, you know, in, in, in the national championship conversation, they should build a statue of him outside that place. And Notre Dame, what he did, yeah, absolutely for all the success he had. Now it's a little bit too early for that folks are still a little you know yeah. a little bit miffed at how he left now now side note i i i always i blame the process more than than brian kelly you know just the fact that with the early signing period being what it is these programs want their coaches in there right now i think if we want to you know so so coaches are are, are you know they got a gun to their head right if they want to take a job brian kelly for whatever reason his reasons and maybe i even understand he chose, you know, to go another direction. That's what he wanted to do. And so to take that step, the option I don't think was there to stay and then try to get the job later. I, and I think because of the semantics of early signing period, the fact that, you know, athletic directors are allowed to talk to head coaches of other teams while their team is still playing in the NFL, you can't do that. Right. So it, it's, uh, I, I think that's, it's more the process. I, I hope Brian Kelly, you know, despite some of his faults and damn it, despite the damn video, uh, dancing videos for sure. Hopefully, uh, so Irish fans will maybe, you know, just kind of let that go a little bit and maybe appreciate the, the success he was able to have. Yeah. I got along with Brian and I, I enjoyed him, but I will say this about his dancing. I wasn't sure if he was dancing or if it was in a medical or an emergency. <laughs> You know, you, you got you got people. Um, he has handlers and people that. Hey, is this a good idea? Is this a bad idea? Maybe that person was sick that day. I, I don't. I don't know. But uh, uh, very good coach. Uh, not a great dancer. Rocky, the the season opener is quite a ways away still, but it, it's it's hard not to look forward to Notre Dame and Ohio State opening up the season. How? how how do we prevent ourselves from not overreacting to the outcome of that game, positively or negatively? Well, the sports, the sport depends on us overreacting, right? That's what we're <laughs> supposed to do. Uh, I'm in the media too, right? We want everybody to overreact. No, it's, yeah, I, I think it's, it's certainly, I mean, as an Notre Dame fan, you, you know, you, you wish we were playing, um, you know, Fort Valley West state, right. For the opening game of, of Marcus Freeman, but um, that's not going to be the case. So I think, you know, like it or not, there's going to be a, a measuring stick sort of uh, thing that happens there and people are going to really scrutinize how he acts, how he coaches against uh, one of the top programs in the country. But, I mean, look, just as a, as a fan, I mean, you look, let, let's talk about these big games. Let's talk about Notre Dame playing the best teams in the country. That's why I always defend Notre Dame to the hilt. You know, they're not afraid to play a tough schedule. They're not afraid to schedule tough teams where some other big universities are, um, especially at a conference. So um, I, I think it'll be fantastic. Rocky, you – I mentioned your book, Rocky's Rules. What has it been like to see the reaction to that? And uh, if people want to pick up a copy, where can they buy one? Yeah, no, it's, it's good. And, and for folks that don't know, it's it's not a biography. I am not worthy of a biography at all. But it's more of a – I'm a very principled guy. You guys probably know that. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's certain things 
you kind of need in life and you, you need a set of traits that will help kind of keep you in line, right? Because this, this world's a cruel place. So this is just my opinion. It's my 11 rules for life, just some mindsets that I've found and really discovered through sport. A lot of experience I had in the NFL, both good and bad, that, um, that you know, made me kind of say, hey, these are some certain mindsets that I think are important. And I think it's a good book for young people, older people, folks in the business world, whatever it is. It's called Rocky's Rules and is really a joy to write. And it's, it's really been fun seeing it. Now we're going on, you know, two years since it's been out and to have it still be selling it is pretty cool. Well, your kids look well behaved in the pictures that you post. So I would go buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't post many pictures of the middle one, Eric, because he's, he's not very well behaved at all, but we love him anyway. <laughs> awesome. all right rocky that's all we all all we have for you we really appreciate you taking time to talk to us today and uh hope you uh get some maybe some more relaxing time here without the, the pressure of Bengals games every sunday there you go look you guys are the best you do a great job covering team i'm always tuned in and we'll talk soon all right all right now it's time for questions submit questions to us on twitter or on the insider lounge message board before every podcast I'm at T James ND and Eric's at E Hansen ND. First question is from Big Asian ND 2000 on the Insider Lounge. After the Wednesday media session, which new assistant coach impressed you the most? Which new coach will have the biggest impact improvement of a unit from 2021 to 2022 on the team? I didn't get to talk to them all, and I, I include Harry Heastan as a new coach. I was impressed with all the ones that I talked to, Al Golden, um, Brian Mason. I, I guess, um, you know, I, I was most curious about Al Golden. I'm really eager to talk to D-Lan McCullough um, because he was the guy from the outside look. He's a guy from the outside looking in. I really was excited to get to know more about him. Um, in terms of who's going to have the biggest impact on the team, I don't think there's any question that it's Harry Heastand. I think that you're going to see a big jump in performance in that unit. Now, I think even with Jeff Quinn still at Notre Dame, that unit would have improved in 2022. But I think you'll see them make – by the end of the year, they're going to be one of the best offensive lines in the country. I'm, I'm going to go that far because Aaron Taylor said it, so I can copy off of his um, <laughs> his opinion. But that that would be the person. He and he's probably in the best position to make that kind of improvement too with the personnel. Yeah, I, I was able to talk to more of the new coaches yesterday. Um, I spent time with Al Golden, Jared Parker, uh, Chancey Stuckey, and Al Washington, um, and they were all uh, entertaining and engaging guys. Um, and so I, I thought they were um, – it, it, they all sort of made sense of, okay, well, I understand why this guy is at Notre Dame and why Marcus Freeman wanted to hire them. Um, I, I think I, – I, obviously, we, we got the most time with Al Golden because we had both a press conference with him and a breakout interview with him. So I, I, I spent both of those times with him. Um, so I, I really, I really got a sense for why he wanted to be here. Um, and he feel he, and he feels very authentic in his want to be here and why Notre Dame was a place that he would be willing to come back to college football for. Um, and so I think he will be able to connect with players. Well, 
Um, I think he's going to be able to connect with recruits as well. So that would probably be who I was the most impressed with. So I, 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 we got some of the same answers here, but, um, and, and with, and I'm, I'm echo your, your thoughts on Harry Heastan having the biggest impact. I, I'm the most confident in his ability, um, mostly because of his resume and having covered him previously. I, I, I know what Harry Heastan can do for this offensive line based on past experience. Now, could those other guys make even greater impact? Sure. I think, some of those, some of those other units are probably starting at a lower point, um, and so maybe have more room to grow. Um, but I, I, I just think that uh, uh, it, it would be foolish not to not to think at this point that Harry Heastan would would make the biggest impact. Next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. Now that Al Golden is officially def the defensive coordinator, how would you rank the hire on a scale of one to ten? One being poor, ten being best possible. Is there someone else either of you would have preferred to have be, been the defensive coordinator? Also, what are some potential positives and negatives about the hire? Okay. Well, I would say I can only grade it on first impressions because we don't know how it's going to play out. So I would say a nine in a first impression based on everything that Notre Dame was looking for in that position. I would say if there was somebody that would have been on that list ahead of that. And, and in some ways, maybe isn't quite as good a fit, but I think as an elite college defensive coordinator, that would have been Jim Leonard from Wisconsin. Um, but what I like about Al Golden is he's what Notre Dame needed. And so Al Golden for Marcus Freeman as a first year head coach is a different fit than Al Golden would have been for Brian Kelly. Um, I don't think that that would have been quite the um, match that it is for, for Marcus Freeman. And Rocky was talking about this in the earlier segment, too. So what else am I missing here, Tyler? What's What other elements? Potential positives and negatives about the hire. Okay, so the positives, I mean, I think, you know, again, his experience, um, a guy that can fix things. You know, a lot of times you need fixers on your staff. Tyrone Willingham didn't have enough fixers on his staff when things went wrong. Um, and you need leaders. And I think Al Golden is the kind of guy that can kind of rise to the occasion. If there's a crisis schematically, if there's a crisis personnel-wise, he's a guy that's going to kind of help do that. And my hesitancy with him is just, you know, I think everybody gets – um, Brian Van Gorder flashbacks in terms of somebody that was dealing with people in their 20s and 30s and now has to deal with teenagers in early 20s. Is he going to be able to boil down the teaching uh, the way that he needs to? I would think so, just because he did it for so many years. Um, he was in college a lot more than Brian Van Gorder was. And so I you know, I think we all have those Brian Van Gorder flashbacks, but that would be my one kind of hesitancy. Yeah, I, I in terms of the scale, I would I would put an eight. Um, I think uh, to go, I, I probably probably best to connect that to the positive and negatives immediately. I I think he gets Notre Dame sort of like I mentioned. He understands the scrutiny and spotlight that comes with it, um, having been a head coach at the University of Miami. Um, Coaching in the Super Bowl helps um, in recruiting. Like I asked uh, Rocky about, 
Um, I think he learned a lot in the NFL and he was able to articulate what he learned. Um, and so I think if he can articulate that to us, um, I think he will be able to articulate that to the players really well because the players are probably smarter about football than we are as well. So uh, the negatives, I, I, just the fact that he hasn't been a defensive coordinator in so long, I think there is, there will, there is some adjustment that has to happen there. Um, when, when it's, when the, the calls are coming down to you, um, that, that's something you have to probably get back into. Uh, and I think the fact that he's inheriting coaches makes the, the transition a little bit more awkward, um, but he has fully embraced that. He, he, he said he likes the new staff. I mean, I, I don't think he would tell us that he didn't like the new staff, but uh, he seems to value the input that those guys are having and the ideas that they're coming with. And I think um, the collaborative effort that they're going to have in terms of forming this defensive game plan and scheme um, on paper sounds like a good idea, but we'll, we'll see how it all sort of comes together in terms of other defensive coordinators that I would have preferred. I, I, I think Jim Leonard would have been incredible. I don't know that it was been very realistic as I had mentioned previously as someone that they had some interest in, but um, I was Phil Parker was a name that was out there that would have been intriguing. Um, yeah. I have some questions about him as a recruiter. I'm not sure what sort of potential he had there. Um, but uh, so those are some of the defensive coordinator names that um, I would have been intrigued by, but I, I don't, I don't know that I feel very strongly like if they were to hire, I mean, I, I think I can say that about Jim Leonard. I said that would have been a great hire, but I don't know that there's a lot of defensive coordinators out there that are going, okay, this is going to be a, a great fit for Notre Dame. I understand this because a lot of those guys that you would think that could be that, end up being head coaches. Like they, they were hired as head coaches in the cycle, not, not necessarily uh, defensive coordinators. So um, it's uh, um, it's going to be fascinating to see how, how it plays out because uh, Marcus Freeman definitely took a chance on Al Golden and, and waited, waited out and uh, got the guy he wanted. Next question is from at Chris Fleck one. Now that the coaching staff is complete, which assistant do you think is the first to get a promotion at another school and when? <laughs> this hurts my head it's a great question it's just I don't naturally think that way but I know that fans do so I Chris I'm taking a hit to the head for you on this one I think I think you gotta be, you gotta be a, a you gotta have a psych, psychic powers I think a little bit too. Uh, psychic powers and also a little bit of wow really spinning forward uh, but I, I know it's just natural curiosity because I think people are excited about the coaching staff. But as I look at it, I think Tommy Reese, who's not one of the new coaches, but is on the staff, is the guy that's going to have the opportunities coming at him the soonest. And um, I and I do think that they would be looked upon as promotions Um uh, whether it be an NFL team or a head coaching job. Now, again, that doesn't mean he's going to take those jobs. You know, Tommy may want to be a power five head coach and not grind through the grind through a rebuild at a bad power five program or grind through a, a group of five job that doesn't have resources. Uh, so, but I think he's the first one that will, and I think it'll happen as soon as next year. This year is going to really up his value or, or maybe slow it down a little bit because he's got so much responsibility now 
with him kind of untethered from Brian Kelly, just uh, the bigger role he's taking on in recruiting uh, that he made or that he had his fingerprints on a lot of these coaching hires. So I, I'd say beyond that, I, you know, when you're talking about promotion, I think you're for a lot of the other guys, it's maybe becoming a coordinator. And so I think D land McCullough probably would be a guy that people are looking at uh, maybe Chris O'Leary, maybe Al Washington, but I, I would think, because I mean, Harry, he could be promoted, but he doesn't want that. He wants to be an offensive line coach. He wants right. to be a Notre Dame. Yeah. Harry, he the offensive coordinator, just something about that makes me chuckle. Uh, but uh, I think uh, based, based on career trajectory, either Dylan McCullough or Jared Parker would make some sense in terms of being, um, getting a promotion somewhere. McCullough is clearly respected in the coaching community. Um, and Parker has ex- offensive coordinator experience. So he also, I think, has the easiest job on staff in coaching Michael Mayer. So I don't think his stock is going to drop uh, going into the season. Like obviously, like you're saying with with Tommy Reese, like his stock could could drop if, if Notre Dame's offense sort of falls flat on its face and Tyler Buckner isn't the quarterback that um, Notre Dame thinks he can become. So uh, I, I think that uh, those are would be probably be the two guys. But in terms of when, I don't know. I think I think it's assuming a lot. We, we, like I said, we're we're one. We have to assume that everything goes well, and then two, what, what sort of opportunities will be out there for them? I don't know um, what who who will be hiring an offensive coordinator next next off season or in two off seasons that would make sense to to hire Dylan McCullough or Jared Parker. So um, I think uh, there are it's 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 uh, fair to say that these there are a number of guys on this staff that will get promotions at some point. Um, but I don't know. I, it's impossible to, to, to have a really good sense of how that's going to play out. Next question is from Chino at D underscore radio guy, having two coaches on your staff that have been in Super Bowls in the last three years. Big deal, kind of cool, or meh? I definitely don't think it's meh. Marcus Freeman talked about it yesterday uh, about how uh, that they're – with recruits that that plays really well, that they're excited about people that not only coach at the NFL level, but get to the Super Bowl and have either Super Bowl rings or Super Bowl heartache. And so, yeah, I think, I think that's going to wear pretty well. And I do remember, you know, I was around in 2005 when Charlie Weiss was able to go out to schools in the spring. They they've changed the rule where, Head coaches can't go on the road in May. Uh, but when Charlie walked in the school with those Super Bowl rings, it made a big impression. So, yeah, I, I think it's a big deal. Yeah, recruits will eat that up. You, you do have to educate them on that because I, I they, don't, they don't know the names of the position coaches in the NFL. So unless you tell them that Al Golden was a linebackers coach for Cincinnati in the Super Bowl, they're probably not going to know that offhand. Um, I know. Like, even I'm a pretty big NFL fan, and – Eric was asking me about a position coach on the Chicago Bears. I was like, I didn't even know he was a position coach on the Chicago Bears. So uh, I think uh, I think uh, there's some education that goes into that, but there is value in that. I think it says something, too, about that these coaches know what it takes to win, um, and I think that does matter. Um, and even when you're talking about Al Washington, who's coming from Ohio State, he, he's made it to a college ball playoff um, at Ohio State. So 
these these coaches, a lot of these coaches have been places that have had a lot of success, whether it's in the NFL or in college. Um, and I think that is incredibly valuable um, to have on your coaching staff because they they can not only not only have they experienced what it takes to get there, but they can help communicate that and explain why what they've learned applies to the current team and, and uh, um, Im- improve the players. Next question is from Irish fan one zero two. Question for Eric: The George George O'Leary debacle is what is often cited as the reason ND hiring is so slow. Did ND hire coaches faster prior to that incident? My hunch is that ND's background checks are so meticulous because of the university's religious affiliation. It's George O'Leary. Um, it had and what he did had nothing to do with religion or sacrilege. It was. made up a master's degree that he didn't have and he said he played varsity football at the University of New Hampshire I would think that you would pretend to play somewhere much more prestigious than that uh, but that was what was on his resume and that's what caused him to get fired and yes hirings were quick turnaround the Word leaked who the coach was going to be there as a press conference the next day. And the George O'Leary thing changed that forever. And Notre Dame was open about it. Now, do they look for things that align with their values? Of course, you know, they, they, I think most schools would do that, but there's been people that have been hired that have, you know, violations on their records and, and so forth. And they decide whether they think that's a, big enough deal not to hire that particular coach. So they do thorough background checks, but um, the post hire vetting is more protracted than any college that I can think of. And it is because of George O'Leary. All right. Next question we have is from Jeff at laser eight seventy one. What's your view of the rumors with Tommy Reese? Is he open for business? I'd like to think that he's not really interested in lateral moves, but it sounds like ND slash Freeman are fending off suitors for other collegiate offensive coordinator jobs. Well, I mean, it, it's not a rumor. I mean, uh, Brian, uh, Marcus Freeman talked about it yesterday, and Tommy Reese did to a certain extent. Um, I wasn't there for the whole conversation. I have it on tape, so I need to kind of listen to it, but they both addressed it. Um, and I think that um, Tommy Reese, if he ends up leaving, it's going to be for not a lateral move. And, and, and I think the Miami job would have actually been less than a lateral move. I, I think um, it would have been for more money and a lot of perks. But right now what Tommy Reese is doing is, I don't want to say a co-head coach, but he has way more responsibility and way more uh, he's getting way more growth experience from all the responsibility he has right now. Whereas he had, he gone to Miami, he would have been with Mario Cristobal, who's an excellent head coach, but he's an offensive guy. And I think he would have still been hands-on with that offense. And he would have hired Tommy because he likes some of Tommy's passing concepts. Uh, but Mario is a, a guy that knows the running game. And I, I think it would have been more of a collaboration right now. Tommy's really 
running his own show. So again, I, I don't know that that necessarily would have even been a lateral move, but Tommy Reese, as long as he produces this year, that there's not a regression is going to get offers until he eventually leaves Notre Dame and he eventually is going to leave Notre Dame. Yeah. I think open for business is probably too strong, but he's, I, I, I don't get the sense that he's as beholden to Notre Dame as we thought he may be. Um, he clearly wants to keep his career progressing. Um, and if he sees opportunities better than the one in South Bend, he's going to entertain them. Like, like you said, it's hard to imagine many offensive coordinator position being having as much power as he has in Notre Dame. And, I, and I, not just that Marcus Freeman is sort of deferring to him in terms of the offense, but I think there's a deference to Tommy Reese because he's, he, he knows Notre Dame better than just about anyone on staff, if not better than anyone on staff. Um, so I think his opinion matters because he's, he's been around here, he's played here um, and there's a weight that comes with all of that. Um, so I, I, I think there are probably benefits to interviewing elsewhere for him personally, beyond just entertaining the possibility of going to that, that program. Um, and that my personal opinion, I, I think you should do that whenever you get the opportunity, because I think it gives you experience in that, in that setting. Um, and it helps you learn about yourself. Um, when you go through an interview process, you, you find out what people like about you, what people have questions about. Um, and you can sort of, uh, I think, I think, I think it helps you grow, um, as a, as a person in your career, um, by getting that sort of feedback through, through an interview process. So I don't know, <laughs> you don't need to be doing that, uh, all the time and regularly. I don't know that you need, uh, annual checkups <laughs> in the, in the interview process, but, um, I, I think that, um, it, it just, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me that he would leave for another offensive coordinator job, uh, unless things sort of ended poorly here at Notre Dame. Cause I, if, if it wasn't where the NFL, right, right, right. Um, I'm speaking about college, but like, cause, and, and if, if, and if he were going to do that, if he were going to leave Notre Dame, this would have been the off season to do it because the, he had a lot of things to do here. Like it's not, it's not necessarily just set up for him to just win easily on offense here. He's got a quarterback that hasn't started a game. Um, he, he's got, he's got a lot of work ahead of him um, this season. And there was so much change going on this off season that sort of breaking from Notre Dame would have been an easy decision. Um, and he didn't, he did not make that decision this, this off season. So um, I think that uh, um, I think that is important in the long run. I know people might be upset that he he took interviews elsewhere or is showing interest elsewhere, but um, I think what matters in the end is that he's here. Um, and I think we all knew that he wasn't going to be here forever because if he wants to be the head coach in Notre Dame in the future, um, he I, even though Marcus Freeman didn't wasn't a head coach somewhere else, I don't think that uh, they they would do that back to back to to keep things going that way. So I I think that. Uh, Tommy Reese is going to leave eventually. It's just a matter of what opportunity he sees as something that will best help his career move forward. Next question from the Insider Lounge, MAGA2024. If Reese has full control of the offense, then why did Marcus Freeman's guy get the tight end gig? Have to, have to wonder if Reese picked Stucky or if that was also Freeman slash Jack Swarbrick making the decision. Um, I guess I, I don't agree with the premise that Reese has full control of the offense. 
I think he has a lot of control as we've just been talking about. Marcus Freeman is still the head coach, but there's a lot of great co collaboration going on with those two. And they talked at length yesterday about how they kind of came up with a pool of candidates. You know, neither one of them have been in the business as long as Brian Kelly has. So their Rolodex isn't as thick as Brian Kelly's would be in terms of, you know, picking people. And so they would throw names uh, together, kind of brainstorm names, and then they would narrow that down to people that they thought would make good coaches and have some finalists and do interviews and then pick the people that were best. And let me go back to the Chancy Stucky part of it. Uh, Tommy Reese explained that process pretty well in that uh, that was actually a John McNulty um, suggestion because he and Chancy had uh, their paths crossed with the Arizona Cardinals. And then that um, particular individual gained traction through the um, Zoom process and the interview process. And he ended up being, I think, a surprise for a lot of people uh, just based on his uh, short experience. And yet, you know, Tommy Reese talked about you know, Dave Aranda and some of the people at Clemson speaking so highly of him. And then the, when they got them in front of him, it was, was an easy decision. So then let's go back to Jared Parker. Um, you know, it's a guy that Marcus Freeman had some history with, but it's not, you know, I mean, this isn't like, you know, black and white and a, you know, food chain command. This is, Guys throwing out ideas, trying to make the best pick, not taking credit who made the hire and whose whose idea was it, and and that kind of thing. And so, uh, Tommy Reese, uh, I think Jared Parker talked about the decision process that he got to know both of them. I mean, I already knew Marcus; he got to know Tommy really well during the process, and ultimately, Tommy endorsed that move, and you know there was some agreement on it. But ultimately. You know, Freeman's the head coach. So, you know, if I, I would imagine if there was somebody that Marcus really objected to, he would have let Tommy know that. Yeah, I, 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 I agree on most of those things. The Freeman, I mean, he's still the head coach. He makes the fi final decisions on hirings, whether, whether or not Reese is sort of helping him lead the search for offensive uh, coaches. Um Freeman has to stand behind these decisions that are made because they're going to impact him more than anyone else. Um, I, I, I'm sort of curious why why th this question was asked about Stucky specifically. Like, why 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 does this questioner ask? Like, why why wouldn't the question be asked about Dylan McCall? Like, why 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 was Chancey Stucky the one that Jack Swarbrick and Marcus Freeman had 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 sway over more than than the other? Offensive hires, obviously Harry Heastan, like Tommy Reese knew Harry Heastan, um, and I think I, I don't I don't need Marcus Freeman did probably didn't need much convincing on that, but um, it, and and it was like it was explained to me from someone that Reese likes Stucky over Jamarcus Shepard, uh, despite so many people thinking that it was Shepard's job to lose. I think I think sometimes it, fans maybe get the assume things based off of people thinking like if people are saying like, Hey, I think Jamarcus Shepard would be a great hire. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he's the pick. Like, does, 
people then jump to conclusions to say, well, since they picked Chancey Stuckey, something strange must have happened there. Um, I, I just – and I sometimes it's hard to nail down exactly how it all plays out because everyone's going to have their perspective and, and tell the perspective based on what makes them sound the best. Uh, but so I don't, I don't say it with great certainty, um, because you never know who to believe, but my understanding is that Tommy Reese liked Chancey Stuckey better than Jamarcus Shepard. So that's why Chancey Stuckey is the wide receivers coach at Notre Dame. But, um, I understand the, the want to know the sort of palace drama behind all of the, all the, uh, hirings and, and interviewing process, but, um, this is where we're at now. And I think, uh, Chancey Stuckey. You, if you talk to Chancey Stuckey, I think you kind of get the understanding. It's like, oh, okay, I, I get why people have the faith in him that they have, even though his, his resume might not stack up to, to some of the other wide receiver coach candidates. Next question is from Cheryl Russo at Cheryl R. Bunch of Numbers. We, know, we now know who the coaches are, but can you tell us what graduate assistants and analysts have been added? Tyler, you may have a better idea. I know the ones that I have been aware of and they're not going to announce them, I think, until all of them are together. But Chris Watt is going to be helping Harry Easton coach the offensive line so he'd have a grad transfer plus kind of role. And then there's Jesse Schmidt. And Brian Mason was talking about Jesse yesterday. He's going to be a special teams analyst. Uh, beyond that, I haven't really track, tracked it. I think they'll have some people that are back. And uh, I know Trevor Mendelson is still going to be around. He was the GA with the offensive line last year. He's going to be an analyst. Uh, so Tyler, do you have something to add to that? Um, no, I, I think that uh, James Laranitis is, is a defense. Oh, yeah, James Laranitis. Analyst, um, and, and we've covered that previously. Um, that's his first coaching job. Jesse Schmidt and Chris Watt were both at Tulane last year. Um, Schmidt's connection was with Brian Mason at, at when he was at Purdue, he was a Schmidt was a long snapper there. Um, I, I think, so that, that's all I know. I think everyone else has intends to return. That was, that was on the, in the support sports staff last year. I think the timeline is definitely different for these guys than it is for the assistant coaches, because some of these guys could end up going to be a coach at a much smaller school. Um, so the, the cycle doesn't work the same. Like you go, become the offensive line coach at, at Lafayette or so I'm just picking a random school. And uh, so that, that could happen further down the line. So there still could be more change to come. This is just uh, at least what, what has been um, sort of sorted out to this point. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, treat the support staff with any sort of finality at this point. I mean, even I, I want to say like Nick Lazinski when he came, and I think he might've been at Lafayette most recently before he came back. To the game. Um he, I don't think he, he didn't join Notre Dame staff to like March. Um, so like right before um, spring football. So there, there, there's a lot of movement that can still happen on that front. But um, at least at this point, um, those are the moves that have, have happened so far. Next question is from at Bobby Bancroft. Is it time to get over the fact that Tyler Buckner didn't play in the Fiesta Bowl? Is there anything to read into that other than Marcus Freeman and Tommy Reese didn't want to play him in that game? You know what? I was so over it. I forgot that he didn't play in the Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> so, and then now that I go back over it, yeah, I'm mad. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, he should have. And, and you know, there might have been a different outcome. There might not have. And why I say he should have, 
is because I think he could have helped them win the game. But this wasn't about getting ready for 2022. It was about having a chance to win that game and his running ability, giving Notre Dame uh, the chance to hold on to the ball and hold on to the lead a little bit more and not have their defense so gassed from playing over 90 plays. Uh, so I don't think there's anything more to read into it than that, that, that they just – they were trying to win the game. That was their opinion of the best way to do it. And uh, it differed with my opinion. And they get paid to have their opinions, and I get paid less. <laughs> I can confirm that Eric gets paid less. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I hadn't thought about it since the first week of January, but uh, uh, I just don't think it means much about the upcoming season or Tyler Buckner's future. Um, can we question whether or not it was the right move still? Yes. I mean, if that's a, if that's a discussion we still want to have, we can have that, but I just don't know that it, it means a lot in the big picture. Um, they felt that Cone um, gave them the best chance to win. Um, and that didn't turn out to be the case. Um, so onward, onward we move. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's interesting. This gets off on a tangent, but when we're talking about Tommy Reese's future, you know, there is still, proving to to do you know he hasn't presided over a top 15 offense yet now he may have made the best with what he had but he hasn't recruited to that he hasn't presided over that and if you want to think about a couple of games where maybe uh he had some great ideas and didn't carry them through the whole game I would say Cincinnati and Oklahoma State are are where people might have say, okay, I'm thinking about Tommy Reese next year, maybe as somebody I want to look at. Uh, I want to see how he performs in those type of games. And uh, because I think in Cincinnati, he froze and kind of ran some of the same plays that weren't getting results. And I think uh, not putting Tyler in the uh, Buckner in the game was a big miss. So that's my opinion there on a tangent. But not putting me in the game was a good call. Not putting me in the game? Yes. You said Tyler with a long pause there. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah, Tyler Buckner, yeah. <laughs> Tyler James being in the game. Uh, I don't know who you take out. I'm not, I'm not taking Blake Fisher out to put Tyler James in. <laughs> All right, next question is from Eddie Davis, too, on the Insider Lounge. Which position groups do you expect more attrition after spring? Who have been the leaders stepping up this winter? And who can help themselves the most with a good spring? So let's go one at a time here. Uh, attrition after the spring? What position groups do you think that there could be some attrition? Well, I think some of it depends if you add grad transfers. And, and that's going to be a really quick window. Keep in mind that if players want to transfer and be able to play next year, and that's grad transfers or regular transfers, they have to be in the portal by May 1st. Uh, but when you look at Notre Dame's roster, and the blue gold game is the 23rd, April 23rd, right? Right. April 23rd. So you're talking, you know, eight days, basically seven days, eight days to, uh, make that decision. Um, so you kind of look at position groups where maybe there's a log jam or there's a lot of depth or there's young players that are starters and the backups are older players behind them. So, you know, offensive line might have some attrition just because you have two guys that were true freshmen last year that are likely going to start. Um, 
And then maybe defensive line. There's a lot of bodies, and certainly Mike Elston, you know, provided a culture where everybody kind of played. Everybody was uh, on board with that. I don't know for sure that Al Washington is going to do the same thing, but if it looks like he's going to play the starters more and the reserves less, there may be some guys that get impatient. Uh, and, and maybe there's a young cornerback that just doesn't see a path to playing time. That, that would be kind of the areas that I would think have the most potential to lose somebody. Yeah, I I think the offensive line attrition has probably already happened in that Quinn Carroll transferred and John Dirksen didn't come back. I think there, there still could be some more there, but I, I think defensive line would be where I, I, there could be a possibility just because there are so many talented players that will have experience, some young guys that are trying to get more experience, and then some – incoming young guys that are, that'll be putting pressure on, on the guys that are already on the roster. So I think that um, that's probably a position group that I would uh, look at maybe more than any other. Um, but I think uh, we'll have to see how, and especially the position coach, position coach change sometimes leads to that kind of stuff happening too. Although that that's happening in a lot of positions this off season. Uh, so uh, that there, there could be potential turnover at a number of different positions. Uh, who have been the leader stepping up this winter was his next question. Well, it's the SWAT team captains usually. I mean, so it's like guys like Jarrett Patterson. So they're pretty obvious. But but let me give you somebody that's not obvious. Um, when I was talking to Chris O'Leary yesterday, Brandon Joseph, the transfer from Northwestern, has really stepped up his leadership where he's not a SWAT captain. Um, and he's a guy that's only been there since the middle of January, and he's setting the tone with his position group. And I think that's a really good sign when you kind of get those surprise leaders. Uh, and I'll let Tyler kind of talk about the other other guys, but that that was really interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it's a lot of the people that you would sort of assume. Avery Davis is is a very respected player on on Notre Dame's team, and even though he's coming back from an injury, he's still going to be a leader for these these guys. Houston Griffith really wants to be a leader. Like he he even said he expressed to Marcus Freeman uh, that he wants to be a captain. Um, so I, I I think he's someone that is is taking a vocal role in being a leader. Um, I think Jason Adamalola and Justin Adamalola are both leaders up front. Um, I think Isaiah Foskey is more of a leader by example than he is sort of a, 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 leader, a leader in terms of vocalizing that, although he has expressed like wanting to improve that. So I think that'll be interesting. I think DJ Brown is another guy at the safety position. Um, that, so they're not, they're not lacking for leaders at, at the safety position right now. Um, and, and so I think those are some of the guys, I mean, some of the guys you maybe wouldn't think of Michael Vincent being a long snapper, um, I think he, 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 especially for a special teams group that has a lot of different guys coming in, uh, I, I think he plays an important role for, for, for Notre Dame. And obviously Michael Mayer, um, I think people just respect him just because of how great he is. Um, so he's going to be a leader, even though he's not, he's not even a senior, although this could be his last year at Notre Dame. And then the last one was who can help themselves the most with a good spring? Well, I the story that I did the other day on the um, eight players, eight compelling players to follow during the spring practice, that's kind of my list. I would add to that. Now, they're not all really in an in a easy position where there's a clear path to help themselves, but I think they are the eight players, and that was 
Deion Colsey at wide receiver, Rocco Spindler at offensive guard, Prince Colley at linebacker, Xavier Watts at safety, Audric Estime at running back, Jordan Botello at either Viper or linebacker, Riley Mills at defensive tackle, and the lovely and talented Alexander Ehrensberger at defensive end. I would add to that list a guy that does have a clear path to moving up the depth chart is Mitchell Evans. I think he's got a real good chance to say, I am definitely the number two tight end on this team and, and really have a much bigger role with George Takis having decided to move on. And, you know, maybe one of those freshman linebackers can get in the mix. It doesn't, again, it doesn't look like there's a clear path for them. You know, Kaiser was the top rated linebacker for, um, by pro football focus grades by, by far among the linebackers. Maris Leofow was coming back. So that kind of blocked somebody. I guess if there was a place to break through, it might be middle linebacker. But you have some real experience with Bo Bauer, and I'm assuming JB, J.D. Bertrand is going to move over there too. But I love that freshman linebacker class. Yeah, I, I think you've covered most of the most of the ground there. I, I, I'm not – I'm not sure who it's going to be at corner, but I think there's going to be someone. Whether I mean, I, to me, I wouldn't be terribly surprised if it is Jaden Mickey just as a freshman. I wouldn't be surprised either. Um, but I, with maybe Ryan Barnes or Philip Riley take that take that next step too, because that is certainly something that's needed. So the the opportunity will be there. I, I like the mention of the tight ends, Mitchell Evans, and I think Kevin Bowen both have an opportunity to prove themselves because I don't think Notre Dame's like going to. Though the numbers are thin at tight end this spring, they're not going to. They don't want to wear out Michael Mayer, so they're going to give those those backup guys as much opportunities as they can get. Um, and I, Kevin Bauman's just had tough luck with not being able to stay healthy. Um, so hopefully he can have a healthy spring and and show some of the potential that uh, I believe the coaching staff had um, visions of him having. So uh, and and certainly trying those guys proving themselves to Jared Parker will be will be important this spring. So. I think uh, I think that probably covers pretty much most of the 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 guys that really need to have a good spring uh, starting next month. Uh, next question is from at Mike Devoy one. Where do you see Harrison Wellman fitting in, assuming you crack crack the two deep back up to Avery Davis in the slot? Question mark. Yeah, I think that that that's where I would see him fitting in the most. Now again. He hasn't committed to Notre Dame. He got a um, invitation to be to walk on as a grad transfer with the hope that he could earn a scholarship. He may get a solid scholarship offer from another school um, and decide that that's a better path for him. He has the connection with Brandon Joseph. This is a young man that's a senior at John Hopkins University. It's a Division three school. So they don't have scholarships. He's not on scholarship now. So uh, he's also running track. So, yes, I do think that uh, uh, Avery Davis, I don't think he would crack the two deep um, because, you know, with seven healthy scholarship receivers, um, trying to think if I'm missing somebody in there. I, I don't think he would be in the two deep, but I think it's a guy that, um, you'd want on your roster. I think he's going to help you in practice and, you know, maybe he gets in a game and, and does something, but uh, they like his film. It's just, how does that division three 
film translate. Very prolific guy at the Division Three level. I know Brandon Joseph is stumping for him, so we'll see what goes on with him. Yeah, I, I think uh, – I don't know that the intention necessarily would be to bring him in and that you need him on the two deep. I think it's to have the option to make the two deep if he impresses – but to have the bodies there, they, they need some, they need some more yeah. bodies at the wide receiver position. Um, I think he'd probably be competing with Matt Salerno in the slot, potentially to be the backup to Avery Davis. Um, but I, um, I'm sort of curious to see, um, and this would be something that maybe we can talk to Chancey Stuckey about as the spring moves on. Is like how, how firm they are. Cause I, cause I, I think they need to be more, need to move the receivers around more often than they do and, and not maybe pigeonhole people into being the slot receiver all the time. Cause I think Lorenzo styles can be a great player out of the slot at times, although I think he can be a great player wherever you put him. Um, so I think, I think they want to keep their, they should want to keep their options open in terms of that. So I don't, so even if uh, whoever is the number two slot on the depth chart, they're probably not going to be playing as much as some of the other outside receivers that may be moving into the slot um, from time to time. Uh, at Tyler Go 31 in the past 10 years, one player you thought would excel at the next level, but did not. And one player you were pleasantly surprised by their success at the next level. I would say there's probably three that fit in that category. So if I had to pick one of them, I would say Deshaun Kaiser. But I remember talking to Charlie Weiss before the draft uh, in 2016. And I said, if, Kaiser, I asked him what he thought of Kaiser and he liked him. He goes, unless he goes to Cleveland, he goes, that'll dead end his career. And that's where he went. And uh, so I think that had something to do with it. Um, the other two guys, I, you know, Lewis Nix, I thought would, would do well. And he just never was healthy and, and never got traction. And then uh, I thought Manti would have a little bit better of a career given his college career, I thought he'd find a way to kind of rise to the occasion. Not that he was a bad player. He was an average, kind of average guy. Um, but I, I thought he would have a bigger impact. Uh, as far as the flip side of that, um, I, you know, the names I came up with were Romeo Cora, Jameer Jones, Ben Skoranek, Tony Jones Jr., and Matthias Farley. And I would say, Based on, you know, I, I, Romeo's the most successful of those guys, so I would put Romeo at the top of that list. Yeah, and I, I went a little bit more recent with the the guys that fell short, um, at least more recent than the the, the latter guys you mentioned, Manti and, and Lewis Nix. Uh, Miles Boykin has been less su successful than I thought he would be. Um, Kavari Russell, I don't know that I thought he would be, like, a great in the NFL, but I thought he would – at least be a more frequent contributor than he was. And his, his NFL career got off to a bad start right away. He was cut from the team that he was, he was drafted by uh, within the first year. So uh, that th those were surprising in terms of um, coming up short in terms of surprising in terms of positive. I think Sam Mustafer was the first one that came to mind to me, he, especially he spent his first season in the NFL on, on the practice squad after being an undrafted free agent with the Chicago bears. And then, he started seven games in 2020 and started all 17 games last season. So he's really carved himself a role in the NFL after being an undrafted guy um, that I was like, yeah, I, and I think going into that draft, I was like, well, I think 
Sam Musgrover could 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 be a role player in the NFL, and then 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 sort of the way the first year played, I was like, oh, maybe maybe I was wrong on Sam Mustafer, and it's just not going to work out for him. But he still has has been able to find some success in the league despite that. Next question is from at Drew Brennan seventy seven. Who is your Dante Moore comparison? Who does he remind you of on the college or pro level? That was tough. Um, you know, he he is such a prolific passer, such a gamer, um, and a guy that I think could be a good runner in college, but doesn't do it that much. Um, uses his legs to extend plays more than he does, you know, as part of a coordinated running game. So that led me to C.J. Stroud, and I know that's high praise, but I do think he's got that kind of talent. And I think he's got kind of that similar kind of game where CJ is not going to have big stack yardage. Um, he's a guy that's going to be pretty neutral as far as a runner, but he's going to use his legs to extend plays and he's going to be a prolific passer and a guy that can come up big in big games. So. Yeah, I, I like that comparison. That's a pretty good comparison. I, I, I struggle with comparisons, especially for guys that I haven't watched in person and spent a lot of time around. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I mean, I see a little bit of Don, uh, Deshaun Kaiser in him. Um, and the, the part of the things with comparisons is like, you're always just like setting the bar so high for someone when you make comparisons. And so I, I see a little bit of, of, of Josh Allen in him, which, which sounds like an insane comparison because Josh Allen's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Um He's got a slight frame, so that, that's part of why I like the C.J. Stroud comparison. Um, I think that, that physical build that he has sort of re, re, reminds me a little bit of Colin Kaepernick, but I don't know that his his game sort of reflects similarly to way, the way Colin Kaepernick played. So um, I, I just think that there's um, – I, I think he's going to be good. <laughs> that's, that, that's the thing I do feel, feel confident about, but I don't know that I have a great um, comparison. I think, I think you might have won the competition with the C.J. Stroud comparison. Uh, next question is from Andrew Barlow at Barl Andrew. Will Notre Dame football use Harry Styles' as golden as walk-on music in the stadium for the new defensive coordinator? Well, I'll tell you, if they start um, using walk-out music for defensive coordinators, that would be a good choice. <laughs> and certainly better than some of Harry's other songs. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Harry Styles hater. No, not Harry Styles hater, but, I mean, some of them are, you know – kind of mushy romantic <laughs> not football songs. Yeah, I, I, I got you yeah they're not football stadium songs <laughs> yeah so but anything andrew barlow suggests i will take because <laughs> he he has very good taste in everything from what i know of andrew <laughs> most most importantly is his taste in football re reporters that's right. <laughs> uh, I would, if I were to suggest one, I, I'd prefer gold on the ceiling by the black keys if we're going for the, the gold, uh, gold theme there. And another not as serious question from our old pal, Mike Farrell. I, I kind of like the old um, James Bond gold finger. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, and to continue the, the non-serious question thread. Uh, and our last question is from uh, Mike Farrell, our old pal um, who used to work in the Tribune with us. Would you rather be eight feet tall or four foot tall and why? I would rather be eight feet tall because um, 
that way I can reach things in my top cabinets in my <laughs> kitchen. I would rather be four foot tall. I think I think being eight foot tall would be obnoxious. You you can't hide anywhere. You hit your head on everything. You can't fit into normal places. I mean, as a six foot four person, I, I get cramped in on a plane or um, in cars. So I can't even imagine what that would be like as an eight foot tall person. So I'm going with four foot tall because I think it would maybe be a little bit more easier to overcome the size limitations um, and probably less expensive. If you're eight foot tall, like getting a car that you can fit in, you probably have to get it specially made. Whereas like, if you're shorter, I think you just, you just get like a booster um, or something like that to, to be able to get around or, or like you said, reach the top shelf. You just put a, put a little uh, ladder in your, in your kitchen to help you get around if you need something on the top shelf. Well, the other thing is being able to dunk without jumping. And I got a story about that. So when I, my kids are pretty little, I want to say like six and four, I was covering the Notre Dame basketball beat and for two years, and they would come to practices with me. Um, and Pat Garrity was on that team and Pat would like, Hey, do you guys want to shoot with me? Um, and they're like, well, okay, but could you please introduce us to this guy? And it was a guy named Matt Gosh who was like seven foot, 160 pounds. And <laughs> Matt could basically dunk without really jumping that much. And that I, I asked him, I go, why do you guys think Matt is the player you want to meet rather than Pat Garrity? And they said, well, Matt can dunk without having to jump. I go, let me tell you guys, I don't think he can jump. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. All right. Well, I think we're going to have to ask Mike to let us know what his answer is, too. I think it's only fair to ask him what, what his answer was, too. All right. That's it for today's episode of the Inside ND Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, share our podcast feed with a friend. Um, hopefully, maybe we'll be back next week. I don't, our schedule is a little bit unpredictable in terms of the podcast right now, but we will alert, alert you all to question requests um, before the next podcast is released. Uh, until then, stick with InsideNDSports.com for all your Notre Dame football offseason coverage needs. <laughs>